Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome to Ocean River Shields of Achilles. Today, we're talking about the Mystic River that flows into Boston Harbor in Massachusetts. And my guest today is E.K., who is the executive director of the Mystic River Watershed Association. Uh, E.K. enjoys more than 25 years of professional experience in environmental protection and restoration, low-impact and brownfield development, as well as a broad understanding of the public policy issues associated with these arenas. And I had the fortune uh, to uh, spend some time with E.K. in his watershed uh, just on Saturday. E.K., uh, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you, Rob. appreciate being here. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the challenges that are facing the Mystic River and the watershed in general? Well, um, sure, Rob. I think uh, <clears throat> right now the Mystic River and the Mystic River watershed with all its tributaries really represents um, kind of a classic urban American river uh, in that it has made extraordinary contributions to the life and economy and, and development of not only the Boston region but also all of, all of New England. But as a result of that contribution to the life of uh, this community um, has uh, the legacy of, of some of the substantial problems of modern uh, growth and development. Um, it may be actually useful just to give a little background, a little bit of the Mystic River's history, if you think that's appropriate. Yeah, sure, please. Well, uh, as you mentioned, um, the Mystic River flows into the Boston Harbor, and really from the earliest days of European settlement in this area has served as the hub of a lot of commercial and then subsequently industrial activity. And the river has been changed as a result in many ways over the years. Uh, perhaps the most significant thing that happened was that whereas uh, in its uh, native state, the Mystic River was actually a great tidal river. Now it's divided between uh, the saltwater section of the lower Mystic uh, that flows into the harbor and the freshwater section of the upper Mystic. In fact, um, your listeners might be interested to know that 
mystic was really the mispronunciation of the Native American word Missituck, which meant great tidal river. So uh, from the earliest days, this river served as a great source for uh, food. There was tremendous fishing. There was an extraordinary amount of wildlife. Um, and uh, at the same time, because the Boston area began to develop, a lot of these areas were pressed into service for early tidal mills, for early industrial development of various sorts, including tanneries and sulfuric acid plants. And um, indeed, much of that industry, as it evolved, exists today on the banks of the waterfront. And of course, because it was a very uh, healthy and fertile and rich area, uh, great populations of people moved in and settled the area. And we have the challenges of a very densely, uh, very dense urban population as well. So the challenges that we face really emerge out of what was and what is a very prosperous history. Um, first of all, the effects of the industrial development, and some of the errors that were made during the early stages of that development are still being felt. Uh, although the major Superfund sites in the Woburn area that are documented in the book of Civil Action have been... Uh, addressed and are still being remediated. Nevertheless, there is concern that some of that pollution remains in the sediment of the river, and that brings concerns with regard to how the river can be used for recreation. Um, uh, more importantly, however, the very, very dense urban populations create problems that many urban rivers face, such as sanitary sewer overflows, SSOs, combined sewer overflows, CSOs, which emerge from uh, sewer, combined sewer and stormwater systems. And these two problems create uh, terrific impacts on, on water quality. So at a time when the river is generally healthier and cleaner uh, in terms of the impacts of industrial activities, we we really don't have the level of industrial contamination that we did 50 or 100 years ago. Nevertheless, the very high levels of nutrients that enter the water column through CSOs, SSOs, and to some smaller extent from the runoff of fertilizer into the stormwater system, uh, there develops this, this uh, terrific laboratory for invasive species and for cyanobacteria and uh, these kind of unhealthy blooms that occur where you have very high levels of phosphorus. So right now, uh, this whole issue of phosphorus loading, this whole issue of nutrification is a real important problem that um, our organization and many others are attempting to address. That's surprising because usually you think of phosphorus as a, a freshwater inland problem, but because of the uh, Amelia Earhart Dam that closed off much of the, you know, right down in Boston Harbor, closed off the Mystic, you've got pretty much a freshwater situation starting in Somerville and going north, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, basically, upstream from the Amelia Earhart Dam, as you point out, is a freshwater system, and uh, 
it is very powerfully impacted by nutrification and excess nutrients. Um, one of the initiatives that... Uh, yes, tell us about the River, initiatives. This is good. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that we are working collaboratively on with a number of other groups um, is the removal of water chestnut, which is a, a very fast-growing, very pernicious invasive species that's starting to dominate a lot of the river. And um, the good news is, I guess, that um, through Groundwork Somerville, which is a real strong uh, grassroots community organization in the city of Somerville, um, a number of uh, organizations, including Myra, are participating in a three-year effort uh, for which we receive funding from the Massachusetts Environmental Trust. And um, the three-year effort will be to eradicate water chestnuts uh, in and throughout the river. Um, and, of course, uh, the goal is to address, I guess, what becomes the the, uh, the outcome of this problem of nutrification. That's very exciting. The Somerville groundwork is mostly led by college students or recent, recent college grads, and they in turn are engaging lots of adolescent youth who are taking time out of their summer to work at no pay to better the environment. Yeah, it's uh, Groundwork Somerville, uh, along with uh, many other Groundworks groups uh, throughout our region, are are really, um, as you said, um, focused upon uh, the engagement of young people in environmental restoration and protection, and particularly greening urban areas. Um, we're working with Groundwork Somerville um, on this project, but also in uh, two other real important initiatives. Uh, one we call the Mystic River Collaborative, and uh, this is a very interesting group of eight organizations that uh, have uh, banded together to combine two very distinct types of expertise. Um, on the one hand, there are groups such as the Mystic River Watershed Association, um, that have expertise in environmental restoration and protection and has the technical and scientific data, has developed a lot of the technical and scientific data uh, that you need in order for um, effective advocacy. And then the, on the other hand, we're working with um, very strong grassroots community groups that have close connection to communities within the watershed and very specific populations, uh, and the collaboration or marriage between these two types of expertise we are finding is extraordinarily helpful. Um, so the Mystic River Collaborative is something that we really are celebrating now. Um, we haven't really made any big announcements or uh, prepared new letterhead or created a logo, but we're <laughs> working project by project to combine the strengths of these two different types of organizations. Um, one of the exciting things about this particular collaborative is that we are also working in collaboration through this group with Conservation Law Foundation, whom I think you may know has extraordinary legal advocacy skills and experience. 
And also, we're working with the Charles River Watershed Association that has really nationally recognized success right next door to the Mystic. And one of the things we asked of our sister organization in the Charles was some assistance in transferring some of their talent expertise to work in the Mystic so that we could amplify our efforts through their experience. Uh, Bob Zimmerman, who's their executive director, uh, responded to that request that I made uh, two years ago. And they have DK, I have to interrupt helpful. because we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to talk more about uh, what's being done for the Mystic River and with the Mystic River Watershed Association. This is the Green Talk Network, helping to provide a sustainable future for us all. All together now, all together now. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. For decades, we've been made aware of environmental issues, such as climate change, overpopulation, and habitat destruction. How can we stay engaged and active in helping to prevent these issues from becoming insurmountable problems for our children and beyond? Tune in to The Earth Guardian. Each week, Sherilyn Viteze will cover the issues and discuss what is being done and how you can make a difference without too much effort to improve the quality of life for everyone on Earth. Tune in Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. Two views. Different topics. Questions. Answers. News. And advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk network keep listening to the green talk network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures today and tomorrow the green talk network spread the green
You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm talking with E.K., the executive director of the Mystic River Watershed Association. Uh, he's been telling us about the challenges that the river, the Mystic River faces, which includes, you know, all the industrial stuff that could be locked up in the bottom of the river beds and the, the concerns of E. coli and harmful, uh, par- uh, harmful things that come in with uh, storm overflow situations. Uh, also, there's a nutrient loading problem, and that leads to problems with invasives. Um, but many, many of us know, uh, the, we know about this tributary of the Mystic River, which is the Alewife Brook. Most of us know Alewife as an MBTA stop at the end of the line <laughs> in, in Cambridge, but um, the, the Alewife, um, is, Alewife Brook is named for these uh, alewife fish that are a kind of herring. Uh, E.K., tell us about uh, what the Mystic River Watershed Association is, is doing with uh, alewife. Uh, well, yeah, I think, Rob, um, it, it, you make a good point. Um, the Mystic River is one of those territories that many people see out the car window as they head down 93 uh, into Boston or out of Boston. Um, but frankly, uh, when you get a little closer to the river, uh, you get a whole different perspective. And that's one of the things that, um, uh, the Mystic River Watershed Association, along with our many partners, um, are attempting to do is to really, uh, bring, um, the natural life of the river to people's attention so that we can all enjoy it. Uh, you mentioned, the Alewife Brook, and of course, uh, well, let me interrupt Brook for a second. Out it's of what really used to be known as the Great Swamp, um, which uh, the Alewife Key Station now occupies, along with a lot of other development. Um, but it was clear that at some point in history, that Alewife Brook area, along with much of the tidal Mystic River, was just filled with fish in the springtime. The yes. uh, herring run and the alewife, which were similar species, uh, were so thick that even people that I've spoken to who grew up in Medford um, said that in the uh, 30s and 40s, uh, the, the river would be so thick with fish you could almost walk across it. And, of course, this is what the early settlers uh, from the 17th and 18th century uh, reported, that the fish was just dense. Uh, the river was just dense with fish. Uh, this, of course, all changed as a result of industrial pollution and overfishing um, to the point where now it is illegal to catch river herring in the Mystic, uh, appropriately so. Um, one of the initiatives that has been great fun and a great way to bring people down to the river uh, that we in the Department of uh, Fisheries and Wildlife, the state, have helped to sponsor was what we called the Bucket Brigade. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard about that or not. Oh, absolutely, yes. 
So uh, there's an old uh, Civil War era dam uh, that separates the lower and the upper Mystic Lake. And, of course, the herring, uh, by nature, want to get over that dam to the upper regions of the watershed, but were blocked. And so many years ago, there was an effort to uh, collect the fish in buckets and then hoist them by rope up to the top of the dam, at which point they were let go through a sluice into the upper lake. And this was a great activity for, as you might imagine, kids and young people. Uh, but it also became something of a celebration on the on the dam and local uh, officials and state officials and politicians would roll up their pant legs and get out into the lake to help the fish get over the dam. So it was a is a great event. Um, as you may also know, uh, the Department of Conservation and Recreation, the state department that manages the dam, uh, has succeeded in getting funding for restoration of the dam. And the great news is that as part of that restoration, there is a fish ladder being built into the dam, which will allow the herring to go from the lower to upper lakes um, without any trouble for the first time since the Civil War. So it's uh, something that I think we're going to celebrate once the dam is done, and we expect that the herring run in the spring of 2011 will really be something to see. Yes. Uh, what, what else are people uh, doing to help uh, restore the river? Well, as I mentioned, there is a big effort this summer and will be in subsequent Spring and summer times to eradicate uh, the water chestnut infestation um, that we see. Uh, the Mystic River Watershed Association, of course, continues its efforts to monitor water quality throughout the watershed, both through our uh, 15 monthly monitoring stations, as well as what we call our hotspot monitoring. Uh, all of this monitor- monitoring is maintained by uh, the professional staff here at the Mystic River Watershed Association, but the work is done by volunteers. Excellent. um, That is a real important component of maintaining an understanding of what's happening in the river. And we're really proud of the hard work of the dozens and dozens of volunteers that, that make that water quality monitoring program possible. You should be proud of the uh, public visibility and access that you've brought to the river, uh, especially uh, you have a, a May um, River Fest where uh, I was able to, uh, you provided me a kayak right there, and a whole bunch of us got in the river. And what's remarkable is even though I'm right in Somerville, right next to 93, you're surrounded by wildlife. It's green on both sides, and you see turtles and herons and all kinds of stuff right there. Well, there's no doubt. I think the Mystic River is really one of the hidden gems of the Boston area. The people who canoe and kayak and row on the river virtually have the river to themselves. And as anyone who has gone out and been on those waters knows, uh, it is beautiful. And um, there's big, wide territory down in the saltwater section, uh, some real fascinating sites of the urban waterfront. Uh, but then as you paddle up through the dam all the way up to the lakes, 
it is absolutely serene. And as you suggested, green on both sides, uh, some real interesting stretches. And as you pointed out in the spring, uh, Myra, our organization, sponsors what we call the Herring Run and Paddle. And uh, it's an annual event we've been doing for about 11 years to coincide with the running of the herring themselves upriver, chased, as I might add, often by stripers from, from the harbor and the deep ocean. But as these fish run, we sponsor a 5K race and a paddle. And what's interesting is, is that this paddle has become very popular uh, for New England uh, paddlers who are quite serious about it, and they bring their um, carbon boats and a lot of enthusiasm, and they either do a 3, a 6, or a 12-mile paddle, and it's open to everyone. So it's a great event. It helps to celebrate the river. It gets folks out on the water, and we hope that by helping make connections to the natural environment, people start to invest themselves in that environment, which is theirs, and um, uh, develop a certain uh, advocacy when it comes to environmental affairs. On the Mystic River Parkway uh, in Somerville, right next to that uh, Boys and Girls Club where you put in the public access, there's a fabulous mural, and I was just so surprised to canoe into all and paddle into all that much of that wildlife, but... Uh, has has the Mystic River Watershed Association been involved with that mural there? Yeah, that was a that was a collaborative effort by members of our association, along with several notable artists and community organizers, and the city of Somerville itself, which helps to maintain the mural over time. And it is absolutely an extraordinary sight. Um, as you know, that section of the parkway is kind of hammered on all sides by yeah. lots of pavement and. The overhead is the the elevated highway, and here is this wonderful, colorful mural that stretches on for, gee, I think a couple hundred feet, and it illustrates the life of the river and people enjoying it. It's really quite something to see, and and it, it is very carefully maintained by both the city and by volunteers. It's wonderful for us commuters, or for commuters who are stuck in traffic. <laughs> Well, I, I think over the years, uh, our association has recognized the value of combining uh, art and uh, beautiful expression with um, celebration and, and dedication to protection to protecting nature. And there's been a number of projects, uh, such as the mural uh, that you mentioned, and we're hoping that there can be more. Um, yeah, the mural doesn't just show nature. It shows citizens engaged in the, in the watershed. It's just fabulous. It shows the citizens pulling up the, the invasives you were talking about, and it shows actual volunteers at work doing what they're going to do. Um, we're talking with E.K. of the Mystic River, Valley Associa- uh, Mystic River Watershed Association, and we'll be right back after this break. Keep listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures, today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. All together now. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Ready to lift your spirit? Join Karen Tatanich every week for Spirit Connections. Karen will share with you the power of energy work. It can get you through the good times and the tough times. Karen will bring together stories of hope and good news based on her work with all aspects of energy. There are people and companies out there that are bringing joy to our planet. You'll learn about the power of spirit at home, at work, and at play. Spirit Connections is broadcast live Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave Network. It's football, pop culture, and everything in between. Get ready for the game plan with Anthony Heron, a.k.a. Big Ant. Anthony has a background in college and professional football and brings the player, coach, and broadcaster perspective to this weekly roundup of the top sports news and events. Big Ant wants to hear from you, too. Tune in to the game plan with Anthony Heron every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific time on the voice america sports channel it's game time thank you for listening to the green talk network help to spread the green by involving your family and friends you're doing your part now help them think green spread the green the green talk network You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with E.K. Kulsa, who is the executive director of the Mystic River Watershed Association. Uh, E.K., how can people learn more about the work of the Mystic River Watershed Association? Well, Rob, we have a, um, a very actively maintained website. Uh, you can reach us at mysticriver.org, and on that website, uh, there is a great deal of information about the Mystic River itself, about our organization, and about ways that you can participate in the work that the Mystic River Watershed Association is doing. Um, I'd also point out that a recent initiative um, has produced a very beautiful 
interactive electronic atlas of the Mystic River watershed. And this atlas uh, is real easy to navigate. You can look all over the watershed, uh, zoom in, zoom out, and all of the water quality data and a lot of environmental information is included in the atlas so that you can see, for instance, what kind of water quality exists perhaps near a place where you like to swim or where you're thinking of buying a house. And uh, we're, we make that available to the public through the website. That's, that's, really, that's really a good resource to have available. Also, uh, we can, people can go to their w- website if they want to participate in the uh, Herring Run, which is physically running around uh, the Mystic River <laughs> or, right. the, or the paddle race and things like that. That's right. Um, Beth Serve, who is our outreach coordinator, uh, is uh, actually the woman who maintains the website along with our office manager, Kim Provo. And both of them can be reached through their email addresses, which you can find on the website. And not only can you sign up to run the race or participate in the paddle in the spring, but there are many opportunities throughout the year to volunteer uh, for the association. And indeed, uh, we are always looking for uh, volunteers who are willing to become trained to do water quality monitoring, all of which is managed by the director of the Water Quality Monitoring Program, Patrick Heron. So there's lots of information. There's lots of ways to participate. And there's, I think, uh, uh, information that people, particularly who live in this area, will find uh, very interesting. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, and for those, us, us dads that want to look good with our kids, uh, from out of the area, it's good to know about the uh, paddling race because that's an opportunity to take a family out on the river and have lots of other people in the vicinity. Uh, you have the you know motorboat spotters at different points along the, the course and stuff. So it's it's a very friendly way, and you've got the rental place right there at the water's edge. So it's a really kind of a turnkey opportunity to see a fabulous wildlife area, the the, the Mystic River. Yeah, you're right, Rob. It one of the one of the things that we're undertaking right now is a is a little bit of new work. Um, we call it the Mystic River Mystic River Urban Trail Map and Guide. And what we've done is we've taken uh, a segment of the river uh, in the Somerville, Medford, Everett area, and we're preparing a little map that you can put in your pocket. And uh, it will help you, help guide you along the various existing pedestrian and bicycle pathways uh, and will provide some information about where you are. So give you a little bit about the history of the Blessing of the Bay and the schooners that were built there. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit about the wildlife that's located um, at the Mystic River Reservation and uh, we hope that this will also encourage folks to uh, take their families or to take their school classes for a walk along the Mystic. And we're real confident that if people get outdoors and get out on these pathways and learn a little something about this river, both its history and its natural history, uh, that they will be very gratified that they did. And uh, as you well know, 
having an understanding and a connection to the natural environment really gets folks engaged and helps them uh, reclaim uh, their their ownership of these these wonderful treasures and Mystic River is certainly one of them. Absolutely. Everyone I've known who's gone into the river comes back happy. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you want to know more about this, it's mysticriver.org is the website, and uh, it opens a whole suite of opportunities to you. Um, E.K., what do you see about the uh, future or the prospects of the river looking forward? Well, we're working really diligently and uh, working with a whole variety of collaborative partners, as I mentioned, to develop a vision of the Mystic River uh, as a 21st century success. Uh, One of the important things about the Mystic River is that on its waterfront exists many very important, you could say even strategically important, uh, industries and facilities um, and those facilities are an important part of the river. They provide jobs and uh, access to fuel and uh, provide an opportunity for uh, this river area to serve New England as a whole in a very important way and as part of uh, the Boston Harbor. Uh, at the same time, we feel that certain sections of the Mystic have been overburdened with these kind of activities, and we want uh, policymakers in the region and and uh, individual community leaders to work real hard now to develop more green space, more open space, more access for the public, so that the river can truly be a river. Um, we certainly think it's possible for both these things to exist simultaneously. We can have very dynamic commercial interests. We can have a very active harbor. But we also think we can have active recreation and a very healthy and vibrant natural environment. And that's our vision for the river. We think the Mystic River can really be a model of how you transform an urban river environment into a very healthy one, surrounded by healthy and sustainable communities while at the same time maintaining a level of commerce that's important to the economic health of the uh, city in which we live. So that's, that's our broad vision, and it's very interesting that we're working with a very broad array of collaborative partners, including well-established environmental advocates, community leaders in each of the 22 communities that make up the Mystic River watershed, municipal leaders, as well as leaders of the river's industrial uh, facilities, including ExxonMobil and Distrogas, Mr. Steel, just to name a few. And our intention is to develop a really sustained commitment from everyone that we recognize that the health of the river is the penultimate uh, importance that that the life of the river really is, to some extent, reflective of the life and health of the communities that uh, surround it, and that we owe a bit of a debt to the natural environment and, by the way, to the people in these communities who have really been the 
home for a lot of the growth and prosperity that the Boston region has experienced. So that's broadly our vision, and uh, we really intend to accomplish it. So we're working really diligently not only to continue to improve water quality in the river and its tributaries, but also to develop more open space, green space, and access, and to look very seriously at what are the limits of industrial and commercial development on the waterfront. It's remarkable the way you've brought together such diverse communities, with Somerville being the most densely settled municipality in New England, and then the ethnic diversity that you have in your community. It's almost like through that diversity, you have more robust and engaged citizens. Well, that's, that's true, Rob, and, and that is something that uh, the Mystic River Watershed Association wants to uh, continue to develop, um, work with the immigrant populations in the watershed is a real important component of the work we have underway now. As I mentioned, uh, the Mystic River Collaborative, um, the community organizations that we're working with include such organizations as La Comunidad in Everett, which is um, has a very strong and close connection to the Latino community there, uh, Chelsea Creek Action Group, which uh, has a storied history, is an extraordinarily successful grassroots community organization that works with not only all of the people of Chelsea and East Boston, but with new immigrants who don't necessarily uh, have uh, a grounding in um, environmental advocacy at this point. And we're working diligently to help engage all of the communities and all the people in the watershed uh, in this effort. Well, by all counts, you guys are succeeding fantastically. And I want to thank you to, for taking time away from all the myriad of activities that you're supposed to be doing. You kind of got short notice, and you came and helped us out on the radio show. Thank you, E.K. Kusa, uh, for this show. Rob, it's a pleasure, and uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to, um, to tell our story, and we'll be happy to hear from your listeners if they would like to know more about the Mystic River. Thank you. After the break, we'll be back with Mike Dunmire from Ocean Champion. The Green Talk Network is here. Spread the green. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization 
organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. When planning for the future, we need to look at all the facets, environmental, humanitarian, and social. There are so many challenges that we face in keeping everything straight and environmentally sound. That's where the deliberacy, taking deliberate actions to benefit all, comes in. Join your host, author Christopher Eldridge, every weekend for a look at the missing cornerstone that is lacking in the solutions to the challenges we face every day. Listen Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. The Green Talk Network is here. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back with Mike Dunmire from Ocean Champions. Uh, and Mike, uh, since our last broadcast, there's been some major sea changes afoot in, um, in, legisl- in actions in Washington. I'm thinking more of an executive order. <laughs> there have indeed, Rob. On uh, uh, July 19th, uh, President Obama signed an executive order establishing the nation's first national ocean policy, uh, and this really, really, it, it, it seems, I, I think, somewhat mundane, but it's really huge uh, in many regards. It totally is. I mean, this is, this is the, the biggest thing to come out of the, the Pew Ocean Study and the U.S. Commission on Oceans report, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And you, you make a good point. I mean, so the, 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 the Pew Study came out in 2003 and the U.S. Oceans Commission in 2004, uh, Sam Farr, Congressman Farr, uh, tried to pass a, a bill called Oceans 21, and he's been trying for several years now to embody uh, all of those recommendations from those, uh, those great reports. But uh, it's been an uphill battle because there are lots of natural adversaries for this. And so President Obama went and took care of, of several of the main provisions of, of uh, Oceans 21 by establishing this national ocean policy, which... And we've talked about it before, Rob, but just to remind folks, um, uh, the, the policy is, it says, that the United States policy is to, uh, 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 to ensure the protection, maintenance, and restoration of uh, ocean health, uh, ecosystems, and resources, and to enhance the sustainability of ocean and coastal economies, preserve maritime heritage, and support sustainable uses of, of these resources. That's a, that really is a sea change in how we operate, and it sets a vision for healthy coasts and oceans, you know, for, for our children and for our grandchildren that wasn't in place. And it really becomes the operating mission of the 20 federal agencies that have some part of ocean governance as a part of what they do that, 
that prior to this national ocean policy were free to, to act kind of as they interpreted law and as we saw many times over were often at cross purposes and, and really doing things in some cases that were harmful to the oceans and this really does makes them do a 180 and, and think about well we're not saying that we're not going to do anything on our oceans but we've got to manage for the long term and we've got to do so sustainably it really is a phenomenal thing to have happened yeah the other word is it's in the law now is that you've got to think stewardship all those 20 plus agencies they must also think stewardship as well as their individual missions of mining or whatever they may be doing Absolutely. And, and then the other piece that it establishes is it starts us forward on doing uh, coastal and marine spatial planning, which provides a tool for being able to make reasonable decisions about where you can cite certain things and where you cannot cite certain things so that you protect critical ecosystems and, and again, don't, uh, uh, don't load uh, a sensitive area with things that, that uh, if combined together, would be incredibly harmful. Uh, or if, even if on their own, put in there on their own, would be harmful. So it, it really does set us off on a new on a new foot. And now, hopefully, what we can do is use this leadership move from the president to begin to take some of these pieces and get them established in law, in statute, so that they are safe uh, uh, for the future. Because the one risk we have right now is that another president could come in and revoke this uh, executive order. Right. But right now, it's just so legitimate. This is not stuff coming down from on high, this is stuff coming out from listening sessions that were held throughout the land, right? Absolutely. So there was an interagency task force formed a little over a year ago, and that task force went out and conducted, uh, I believe it was five major public uh, commentary sessions to, to take input from people. They met independently with you know, dozens of different stakeholder groups uh, really on either side of, of the sustainability construct. Uh, and then took thousands and thousands of letters and calls and things like that. So it, it, it took all of that public commentary and added it to the body of knowledge that already existed uh, from the Pew report, from the U.S. Commission report, uh, and, and really has come forward with uh, what, what is a, a very articulate and well-thought-out policy. Okay, so what's next? Okay, so next <laughs> we had... Uh, 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 in the House Natural Resources Committee, Ocean Champion and Chairman uh, Nick Rahal uh, authored a bill called the CLEAR Act and got it passed out of committee. And uh, this act uh, does a lot of really good things for the ocean. So first of all, we've talked about this before, it eliminates the Minerals Management Service and breaks it into three different groups, which gets away from the conflict of interest. So you now have one group that manages leasing and permitting, uh, and environmental studies, another group that does inspections, that's basically the police on this, and a third group that deals with the revenue side. And they're different now, whereas before they were all under the same hat, which made it very easy uh, to, to have uh, uh, conflicts of interest that produce some of the bad outcomes that we saw. Well, yeah, we shortchanged the regulations for the profit, you know. So this has got to have a separate regulatory arm. Indeed. And uh, it also does a lot to close the revolving door that had big oil execs going into those regulatory positions and back out again. Uh, it reforms the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, which is a lot of the law about the process for approving leases and makes that much more uh, regimented and structured and, and safe, hopefully. But then it, it does some really great things for oceans um, that, that we were very excited about, the main thing it does is it really helps improve ocean governance and will work in concert with the President's National Ocean Policy Executive Order 
because it codifies two parts of that policy. First, it establishes regional planning entities uh, and instructs those regional, they're, they're called regional coordination councils, and instructs them to prepare regional strategic plans that are multi-objective, science and ecosystem-based, and use coastal and marine spatial planning. Uh, and it requires them to go out and do environmental assessments to determine how do things stand there. You know, what do we need to do to improve the, the health of, of our oceans in this area? And then the second piece is it establishes a source of revenue to go and do good things. It has the, uh, the Ocean Resources Conservation and Assistance Fund, which would take revenues that are currently coming off of, uh, of, of offshore leasing and that are directed to the general treasury and says, no, no, offshore drilling is harmful. It needs to be able to contribute revenues to the good, and it could be about a billion dollars a year directed to ocean conservation and science, which, though we don't approve of, of drilling, it, it is happening, and it will continue to happen, at least in, in the Gulf and other places where it's currently happening today. This says take money and do, uh, do good ocean conservation work with it. So very positive. And uh, was passed out of committee. And uh, then there was some, uh, some energy around including it in Speaker Pelosi's Gulf response package that is moving very quickly. Unfortunately, we heard that many of these great ocean provisions were being stripped out. So Ocean Champions began working the inside game, and we asked our members to, to contact their congressmen and let them know that they wanted to see the Ocean Resources Fund included along with these other great ocean provisions in the CLEAR Act, and sure enough, it worked. Uh, and so now we understand that the CLEAR Act is going to the House floor for a vote on Friday, and the fund and the other good ocean provisions that are a part of Title VI of the CLEAR Act are all going to be in there. So we're, we're very pleased, uh, and we are doing what we can to support a positive vote and get this passed in the House. Excellent. Um, Oceanchampions.org. Go there to learn more about what Mike's telling us and how to help get these things moving along. Mike, we're out of time. Thank you so much for reporting for Motion Champions. Thank you, Rob. again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 
visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.